What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 384. My name is Steve. I'm one of the co-hosts. And just like every episode, I'm joined by... Right. John, babe. John, babe. John, babe. Um, this is going to be a fun episode. We have uh, Ronald. We're finally getting around the Ronald's required viewing pick from a few weeks back, which is Black Rain, uh, Michael mm-hmm. Douglas, uh, Andy Garcia. Um, and then we're going to talk Stephen a bit... Root. Stephen Root. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, we'll, uh, well, we're going to talk a little bit. I think John and I saw Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, so we'll talk non-spoiler, just general feelings about it. Maybe we'll talk a little more once Ronald's seen it. Um, but we did all get to see Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. So, you know, when this episode comes out, this is this is like the it's what's turned into the biggest weekend of the summer, presumably and possibly and really yeah. Uh, you know, the the Barbenheimer marketing, the Barbie marketing, the Oppenheimer, you know, buzz, everything's kind of built to this moment. Uh, unfortunately, we did not get to see Barbie, um, which I don't even think it screened. I don't think we got anything on that, but um, we did see Oppenheimer this week and we did see it in 70 millimeter, not IMAX, but we did get some 70 millimeter, um, which was a pretty nice presentation after a little bit of a rocky start. But um, and it's we, a big screen, not the biggest, but it's a big screen. Right, right. Uh, but we'll get to that as our, our bigger feature review for the episode. Um, and then, you know, do our, our usual closing thoughts um, if, if anybody has any other mentions, recommendations. But um, yeah, let's get into your required viewing, Ronald. Tell us a little bit more about Black Rain. Why were you at or where were you? Where were you on it when you kind of like, you know, all oh, right, right, right. It, it Ronald, before you get into this, is it OK if while you're doing this, if I score it by hitting on metal pipes <laughs> yeah. and like yeah. electronic symbols with, yeah. with a lot like of a, uh, uh, hiss and reverb on them and stuff? Press your finger down on the synth for like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 1989, uh, really Scott directed movie Black Rain is a story about uh, two cops. Uh, one played by Michael Douglas, one played by Andy Garcia, who's kind of doing like an Al Pacino something. Oh, all right. We, so we're going to do it like this. It's very uncomfortable. It's like this. <laughs> I closed my eyes for a second. I was like, did I, did I not Wait, stop the movie? You, hey, no, Steve, that, I just surprised you. I brought Andy Garcia onto the, that's the Andy Zoom Gar- tonight. Andy Garcia was sounded so crazy in this movie. So. No, you, 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 you're right, though. Andy Garcia, people always do that as a Al Pacino. They amp that up, and it's an Al Pacino. Yeah. But if you bring it down, the same impression, it's an Andy Garcia impression. And it's actually like, a you know, that's more of a niche item as an impression. Maybe people should be doing Andy Garcia impressions out there. Just slow it down a little bit. Maybe I just didn't notice before. You just become 40% Cajun and yeah, you sound yeah. like Andy Garcia. So so the story is about a crime that was committed in uh, the States, in New York, um, by a uh, Japanese gangster. He gets arrested by Michael Douglas's character, Nick Conklin and escorted to Japan so that he could be tried to the greatest extent of the law. And then foibles, foible, foible. It just gets crazy from there. Um, it gets muddy. And this is interesting. Yes, it gets it gets really crazy. Bloody and muddy. Um, it's an interesting movie because I thought, I really thought, I'm like, Blade Runner, like, what is this going to feel like post that? And it, it wound up being something that, had a totally different identity than I was expecting. Um, it's a little raw than I was expecting. I thought it was going to be a little more like uh, just kind of 
glaring at glaring at each other from tables away like the scene in Scarface before the shooting happens in the club just kind of <laughs> two groups of people looking at each other in these beautiful shots but it's actually a gritty ass movie and I, I thought I, I was super curious because you know this, the cover looks like something out of Terminator <laughs> so I was super curious about it based on the poster and um what would you guys think? Because I know Steve, you you're you're like attached to this movie. I need to know this well, back. Well, well, attached. I don't know. I just know I like this movie, and I remember <laughs> yeah. watching it a few times growing up. And I don't know, like I can I can. It's like one of those things we've said before. Probably like I have like a visual of the box mm. on the shelf, you know, at Blockbuster, or even like when I worked at Hollywood Video, I can I can remember seeing this box on the shelf, and like you know, it's it's got like a visual, you Dang. know, like much of Ridley's stuff. It's just like you know. There's there's imagery that stick with you and like that 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 VHS box or the you know the J card or whatever they called them like that 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 always stood with me. But yeah, you know I, I've always movie feels like oh go ahead. <clears throat> no yeah no I was just saying but yeah I've always I've always remembered enjoying this movie. I was just gonna say this movie to me feels like Ridley Scott doing a Tony Scott movie. That's a good that's a good call. Mm, yeah, that is that is really. In good. fact, I wonder if Tony Scott drugged Ridley Scott and like showed up in his clothes on set <laughs> and just pretended. No, um, I I think this this movie is interesting in a lot of little ways. Like it's like one like a lot of movies of its time. Now, when you look back on it, just this many years later, thirty three years later, thirty four years later, <clears throat> it's you know the culture has changed around movies like this. Um, I think that this movie sort of holds up better than I thought it would in that way, in that like the racist characters that we meet are the white cops who we yeah. are seen to be wrong and to be like, I wouldn't say that Michael Douglas's character grows in this movie necessarily, but he does develop a personal relationship with the um, the Japanese cop uh, Masa, I think was yeah, Masahira. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I thought that was... That relationship was fun to see and that actor was great because he did feel like a real kind of like working cop rather than like a kind of glamorous action hero type of thing. Um, and, you know, Michael Douglas is so odd in this movie, like his hair is so hilarious, like from a from a 2023 standpoint. And there's something I don't know if I don't know what it was. He just looks he's just got a funny look about him like he needed yeah. more of five o'clock shadow or something to he just kind of there's something kind of soft seeming about him in the face. Not necessarily his physicality is very lean and he's moving a lot in this movie, but something about his face just seemed like I don't know. There was just I, I kept smiling whenever they would cut to him and it was supposed to be like an intense moment or like even him smiling. Smiling. And he just seemed kind of funny. I don't know. I like Michael Douglas. I don't think he's bad in this, but I do think his face made me smile for some reason. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yeah. why. And I, I look, I saw that like there was talk that Kurt Russell or Harrison Ford could have oh, wow. done this movie. And I started to think, does that mean Harrison Ford would have had that hair? Or like, was that a was that a wardrobe decision or was that a, an actor decision? Because I'm very glad we don't have visions of Harrison Ford with that hair. Um, but I feel this like is Kurt definitely, Russell, this is definitely a Michael Douglas hair. And yeah, Kurt yeah. Russell could pull this hair too. But say, uh, Kurt Russell could pull this hair, maybe a little yeah, bit lower yeah. uh, hairline, but it would be the hair for him. But Harrison yeah. Ford it would have ruined, like whatever was happening with his mojo in 1989. He was doing, uh, he'd just done Last Crusade at that point, so he still was pretty, yeah. was pretty hot. It, I think it might have wrecked the rest of his career if he had showed up with his <laughs> hair. Um, but no, I think that it's an interesting thing for that reason. Like it feels like sort of minor note Ridley Scott when when you think about the scope of what the story is, even though it's got like an epic globetrotting kind of story it still is a like you said ronald's a very gritty pretty simple lean storyline yeah, um right. and so, so part of me thinks like i don't know that they really did exploit the the possibilities of like this fish out, fish out of water story of him being in japan but i 
also think that just in terms of throwing you into the visuals of a, of a world where, I mean, you know, uh, from the American standpoint, you don't know the language. Yeah. Um, and the movie doesn't hand as much to the character as these movies usually do give to like the American cop coming over They're They're kind of not given that much respect when they show up. So it's a little bit of a different kind of down in the gutter perspective on this sort of storyline than, than you might normally get. And I wonder if that was the hook. You know what I mean? I wonder if the grittiness yeah. was sort of the hook in 1989 when someone like Ridley Scott was drawn to this sort of pedestrian material. Like, it's not like that elevated, I guess I, is what I'm trying to say. But I think that there's a lot about this movie that that elevates it in some way. <clears throat> it, it really ducked out all the tropes. Like, I thought they were going to have the nasty food scene. Mm-hmm. He's fucking every piece of food up that he can find in every, you know, it's like yeah. very... <laughs> It's not what you'd expect because, uh, you know, another version of this movie would have been like, oh, I've never had this before. Sushi. I don't need anything raw. You right. know, it's just like that kind of thing. Take and this did... back and cook it. You yeah. know, like that kind of line. Yes. Right. Yes. None of that happened. And that yeah. was that was pretty cool. It, it was nice that the issue was solely his inability to speak the language. I really like that. Mm-hmm. And he, he just he you know he was shitty about it, and his his demanding every time that he moved around. And I better have somebody that can speak clear English. Yeah. I love that man. <laughs> it's such an asshole American thing to do. That just felt right, and he he pulled it off, man. Yeah, I couldn't so help I but think I couldn't help but think watching this. So I watched this after I saw Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Okay, and okay. And, and like you're talking about like the look. Of Kurt Russell in this, and the entire time watching, am I or, like uh, Mike Douglas? I'm sorry, yeah, Mike yeah. Douglas. Well, all I could think about was like, I don't know about age wise, like if it works, mm. but any sequence that Shea Wiggum was in in Mission Impossible, oh my god, I was like, <laughs> you could put that guy right now in Black Rain, and really? it would probably be like <laughs> so much better. And like, Shane I'm all Wiggum, for... Shane Wiggum would would be killing. I mean, honestly, I'm on a right? high with him after right? that movie. Yes, um, and I've always loved him, but like, yeah, he's a, I, he's I, he's a yeah. We're all fans. Like, anytime he pops up, you're like you're in for something special. But like, having just seen that like two days before I watched this again, and even it's funny you mentioning like just the hair and like yeah. the look, and even like you know some profile shots of Michael Douglas and Shay, mm-hmm. like they have more of like kind of like a pointed nose, like just the way that they looked and the way that he acts in Mission Impossible. I was like, that would he would be so good in this thing where he takes this guy to Japan and just is like so out of place. I mean, like, honestly, Steve, it would it would it's the it's the slight thing that I didn't notice. Even if you look at the poster, that iconic poster you're talking about, Ronald. Yeah, Michael Douglas looks a little bit like a Hollywood guy trying to look like a guy who yes. fights. Yes, <laughs> and in the movie, he has a funny physicality when he goes in for a fight. He does this little like i mean it's it i believe it but it doesn't he's there's a nebbishy quality almost to michael douglas that i never yeah. really think much about he's an everyman he really works well as an everyman or as a dark yeah. version of an everyman yeah but shay wiggum really seems like he might clock you you know yeah in almost any yes. role he's got he's got some kind of seething barely coiled rage that's inside him i really do think steve i mean not that we need to improve we, that's not <laughs> what we do with this segment but yeah th- what you're describing is the quality that the lack of Whatever it is that Shea Wiggum has that Michael Douglas doesn't, right? 
that is what makes this made this character amusing to me in this movie yeah. in a way that I do think sometimes was intentional. But here's the thing. I think in 1989, if they were intentionally saying this guy is a little bit nebbishy, Michael Douglas would have had like slick back hair and little glasses. They would have they would have made him obviously that. So I do think he's supposed to be more of just like he's the standard guy, cool, American, corrupt cop, as we find out. Yes. <laughs> And I like that the movie ends on a slight like thumbs up to being a corrupt cop, possibly, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> How do you read that ending when he leaves his his very ethical Japanese uh, kind of partner, de facto partner? He leaves him with the counterfeiters plates. Yeah. And what he says to him before he leaves them with him is he implies either, uh, you know, you could turn these in. Um, you know what to do if you found them or you know what to do if you find him. You know what I mean? Like he's saying one thing yeah. or the other. A guy could do pretty well for himself if he had a hold of those plates. Is what he says. Something like that. And then he gives the silliest like thumbs up as this like, but, not, but also not looking at him. He's kind of like <laughs> tender. He's, he's like in the MySpace. He's in the MySpace folks with his thumb up. Kind of look. It's so weird. But I mean, it's like a it's like a Mentos commercial kind of like two people across a crowd seeing each other. But I mean, like what? How did you take that? Do you think uh, my is going to turn those in oh. and like and like use that to like rise up in the ranks because he he did something good or do you think it's like it's no. going to be something he keeps in the back of a drawer and and he's going to break them out one day and and become you know be able to pay off a few maybe it like updates to the house maybe I think Nick, Nick corrupted him Nick corrupted him but we're in happy about ways. it <laughs> he he brought that American way <laughs> but it's like we're all we're all smiling about that at the end we're all glad to see well I'm glad this American right. cop should like could like tutor. This Japanese cop and how to be corrupt. I love this is how I, you do it. I love when he told this story about the corrupt thing that he did about taking the money. And yeah. the guy was like, You shamed you shamed your boss. He's like, Oh, okay, cool, cool. He's like, No, but you've also shamed me. <laughs> Yourself. And then you've shamed me. And then you've sh no, he said his family. Yeah. He said everybody. He said everybody that he shamed. That felt so excessive. Yeah. But I loved it. I loved mm. how guilt he was like laying the guilt on. And Michael Douglas just had to sit there and eat. Well, Nick's character had to sit in there and eat right. all that information. How many people layers of shame that he's created. But he didn't seem that bothered, you know. He like no. he was he was uh <laughs> No. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, you see a movie like this and you want to you want to laugh at things that you realize might have been part of the fun of the movie that was yeah. intended. Yeah, that sure. A lot of the stuff we're saying, this sounds like something that screenwriters in 1989 would have been aware of about a character. Michael Douglas is no is no dummy. Um, right. Ridley Scott isn't either. So maybe it was part of their point to not quite do a big trouble in Little China thing of having like, here's a hero who's really kind of a dumbass. You know, yeah. well, it's not that, but it is like the the jokes on him a little bit. Like the, if there is a joke, if there is a cross-cultural joke, he's the butt of it, not the not the yeah. guy laughing in this movie necessarily. So, um, but it is also dated and has some of those great, like that score with like certain moments. Isn't this a Hans Zimmer score? If if so, it might be the first time Hans Zimmer worked is, yeah. with, um, with Ridley Scott and they would do a lot of stuff together, you know, so. No, fun choice. Fun choice. It's good, good stuff. Yeah. So, Steve, you're the you're the next pick. Yeah, you know, I I feel like these like crime thrillers kind of got me thinking about maybe some ones that fell through the cracks for me. And again, talking about like those covers, I remember seeing. Mm. Um, there was always one that I I never watched. I I always meant to watch it. I actually think I even owned it at one point. Mm. Um, but this is 1992's Deep Cover, Ooh. which is uh, oh, Lawrence my. Fishburne. 
And Jeff Goldblum, directed by Bill Duke, who most people probably uh, know from Predator or Commando yes. as an actor. Um, yeah, he was uh, Mac and Predator and, and uh, Cook in Commando. But yeah, I don't know. Like I've I, I, I've always heard good things about the movie, um, especially like just Lawrence Fishburne at that time in his career. You know, kind of getting more into some like leading roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Jeff Goldblum at that time is interesting or is always interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's always been one that has gotten, you know, it's got a great reputation and I, I it's been recommended multiple times to me. Um, but I've never seen it, but yeah, eight, you know, going from 89 to 92, sticking in this kind of crime thriller, uh, mm. look and, uh, yeah. So it'd be a deep cover and I checked and it's available. If you have HBO max, it's available on HBO max, uh, for streaming. And I think it's like a I think two dollars on Amazon if you want to rent it. Um, but yeah, Deep Cover would be my next mm-hmm. pick. Can I throw on a factoid about Deep Cover? I would prefer it if you did. Yes, the song Deep Cover is performed by Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. There you go. That is the first recorded song that Snoop ever put out. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Awesome. Crazy. Really good song. <laughs> A lot of really firsts. First Hans Zimmer score for a Ridley Scott movie. And next yeah. we're going to be doing uh, the Snoop Dogg debut. You know, I might have I, I have a running <laughs> list of movies that I want to watch for some reason mm. or another that I'm that I consider to be my required viewing list. And I usually hold off yeah. on watching them to watch them with you guys. And and many times when I make a choice, it's something new jumps in and beats the list. Yeah. But I'm looking at my list. I think I might have to find what is the crime thrillerist thing to yeah, be there you go. choice. Mm. It might not be from the same clutch of years that we've been dealing with, but I do have a couple that look like good choices. But I like this. I like the little pocket of a certain kind of movie. Um, um, but also, th- this movie is like so 1989 that it's it it's. I, that's another thing I love about required viewing is when we can when we dump when we jump into an era of movie making and you can totally feel yeah. like that moment. Um, and like maybe at least that you can see why this, this seemed like cool material to do because it does it does feel like it was the kind of imagery that was, you know really commercial during during this time but <clears throat> yeah all right cool so deep cover that's an exciting one i haven't seen that in a really long time so i appreciate you saying it man I'm... thanks man. you know you know who likes to go into deep cover is ethan hunt i don't know if you guys have heard about this cat. <laughs> look at you transition transition <laughs> um so yes we're, we're sort of in the bag for the mission impossible movies we don't have to go you don't have to go back too far to well i guess the last movie was maybe when last time we really talked about it in detail but i feel like whenever these movies come up we sort of generally nod to we've been excited about this one it's sort of pre-sold on it um so i mean i think i went into it with the question being much more of like what am i going what how is this going to be different how, what's this going to be compared to the the other the kind of run they're on in this series like the last couple yeah. Uh, this is the third one in a row directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So it's got it went from being kind of a director's, uh, you know, playground franchise where you have De Palma and then you have Wu and then you have uh, uh, Abrams um, and Brad Bird. It's like and now it's like the the Macquarie cruise franchise, at least, you know, for the, for this movie and the next one. So it is, it's like, it's a slightly different beast now. And I, I don't know, it, it made me think a lot about franchises and franchises that go through phases and, you know, franchises that last this long with a central actor. And that's kind of what our conversation has been about it. But Steve, I feel like if you didn't lead off on a Tom Cruise movie, that would be a sort <laughs> of a crime against humanity. So maybe you can talk a little bit about this movie and how it fits in with what mission impossible has become. And also maybe just what the series means to you. 
I mean, honestly, like I think it's one of the strongest series out right now. And it's one of the rare exceptions where I feel like it's kind of gotten stronger as it's gone along. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like when Macquarie or, you know, when Christopher Macquarie and Tom Cruise started working together, they, they did done a number of things together. They did like, I don't even know how far back it goes, but um, like Valkyrie and uh, uh, what was the other one they did? Uh, Jack Reacher. Like they, 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 they have a great working relationship, it seems, and they're very much in sync. And it seems like Tom Cruise is kind of in that phase of his career where he's kind of working with, you know, he went through that phase where he was working with all of like the, like basically the greatest filmmakers ever made or that ever existed. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. he had his, you know, he had his bullet list of like everybody that you could think of and he's been in a movie by them. And then he kind of got into this phase where he's more so way more involved, like with the production and like, you know, very much more hands-on and um, kind of this idea of like getting people into movie theaters, you know, especially post pandemic during pandemic times. So, I mean, it's really an interesting thing to look at Mission Impossible, you know, because it's been five years since Fallout because of the pandemic. And um, and to wow. see that, you know, even with that time, the movie is performing well enough. And I think it'll have legs and continue to go on to be a very successful movie. Um, but, yeah, the thing that stands out for me really is the is that it, that that performance in terms of it does feel like the franchise is getting stronger as it goes along. And I don't think that's a very common thing and it's mm -hmm. very unique. I'd say the only other recent Willie one is like people could maybe argue that John wick is kind of in that same ballpark. Um, but it is also a testament to like, you know, Tom Cruise's star power. You know, we have conversations all the time about like who are movie stars anymore. And especially on a global uh, in the global scheme of things, like he is probably one of three left. Right. You know, depending who you want to, how badly you want to argue for some other candidates, but he's a no brainer. Um, that said, yeah, this was one of my top three movies of the year in terms of anticipation. Um, like we said on the last podcast, I think we mentioned it last week, like we didn't get to see the press screening for it because of technical difficulties. So I did go see it in a Dolby screen still. And uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, you know, I was in the bag, like John said, I, I love this movie. Um, I, I need to see it again to really feel like where it ranks like, you know, in the franchise for me, because a part of like that first viewing experience was really kind of just like, I was kind of really just kind of knocked out a little bit in terms of like, you know, how many action set pieces there are. And for a movie that is two hours and 40 minutes, 45 minutes, um, you know, I kind of felt like it moved at a really fast clip. Like it was moving very quickly for me. So like, just to be able to take it all in was, was, a you know, I want to do that again. Um, big takeaways for me, like on the plus side, I, I love the idea of Tom Cruise aging with this franchise, even though he's, you know, 61 and still does this, these crazy stunts. I think in the scope of what Ethan Hunt is to the franchise, this movie does a great job of like kind of showing him falling behind in some sequences or, you know, being outwitted or outsmarted or out physically, you know, like, there, he's not a perfect spy anymore. He doesn't win any, everything anymore. And, um, you know, he's got like flaws, you know, like he's got like these weaknesses at times. And I think that's cool just to kind of see where other people, you know, exceed him. And that's the great part of the team he puts together. I think that really kind of gelled really well in this movie. Um, and like that reliance on each other really kind of comes to the forefront. Um, the whole idea of like, the, the, the MacGuffin of the film or 
the villain, uh, quote unquote, of him. I'm not sure that I really love all of the AI stuff going on in the movie. It's interesting and it's and it's now and it's topical. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that'll be a little more uh, well-rounded or kind of come to come into view better in, in part two. Um, and I, I have a feeling it might from from what I, you know, some feelings I have about how it's framed in this one. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I don't know. Like you said, I'm in the bag. Like I was I was smiling the whole time. I was impressed, you know, getting some goosebumps here and there, getting emotional a couple of times in the movie. Um, it's just, I, I, I just love these movies so much. And yes, I love Tom Cruise, but it's like, they can be mutually exclusive. Like I love Tom Cruise and I love the mission impossible movies. So like he is these movies. Yes. But there's so many other great things in these movies, you know, the cast that they built around him, Rebecca Ferguson, Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Haley Atwell is incredible in it. Palm Clementif is amazing in it. Yeah. You know, we mentioned earlier Shea Wiggum. Like, there's a lot of great new characters on the screen that I think they give a lot of time to, which surprised me in some sequences. Like a lot of Haley Atwell and a lot of Palm's character more than I thought, um, which I think is great for the for the for the series and and the setup for whatever's to come in part two. Yeah. Um, but this is a definite recommend for me. And again, I'm not going to go into any spoilers. Maybe we'll talk more when Ronald Cena. But what did where did you fall in it, John? Like, what did you think of it? Um, I mean, I, I guess I can just kind of pick up a couple of the things you said. Um, one is, I think an interesting thing about this movie and something they're going to have to deal with. You're right that they're dealing with it. They're going to have to deal with it even more, though. Um, as screens get larger and <laughs> resolution gets better, better. they are going to have to deal with 61, 65, whatever it's going to be, year old Tom Cruise. He's going to have to stop totally. buying his hair. They're going to have to stop pretending that women melt at the sight of him or something. You know, there's going to have yeah. to be something they do to adjust to that. This movie had a couple of moments that were kind of. I mean, it doesn't hurt the movie, though, because it's Tom Cruise. But like when when he does like the sleight of hand stuff with the key and it's like, I think that's supposed to be cool, but it actually feels very much like a guy in real life would feel if he started doing sleight of hand stuff to a woman, (laughs) you know, but it's like the movie moves through it so quickly. You go, you know what? Tom Cruise is still playing this guy that we agree is cool. And it's kind of what you said. Ethan Hunt can be kind of a dork. And it doesn't hurt the it's not like James Bond being kind yeah, of a dork yeah. would hurt James Bond terminally. Ethan sure. Hunt can be kind of a dork and it can even be the the Tom Cruise persona that allows us to, to enjoy that because we do know that he's like not I don't know. He is what he seems to be, but he's also this other sort of weirdly sincere, weirdly all about it guy that is just like. In, in our ironic times, I don't know that people quite know what to do with it with a guy like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is something interesting about these movies, that, as you said, that like they know what they're doing with like this is a franchise that exists outside of Tom Cruise, but he is the movie in so many ways. So him being like the emotional spoke around which the other characters rotate yeah, makes yeah. makes sense. Um, and I think that they might be able to successfully, I mean, maybe he'll quit before he dies doing a stunt, but may, <laughs> I could see them successfully shifting him into a, into a slightly less focused center role at one of these stories. You know, I mean, I don't know that yeah. they need to do that, but I'm just saying I, I could see them doing that. The ensemble they're building. So I think it is an interesting new movie. I think fallout for me is still the, my favorite one, like when I think of the the sequences in that, the fights in that, the villains in that, I think that's the one that <laughs> yeah, I that, that's, that's the, the that's the most recent one, right? That yeah, one's that got was the best, one. craziest action in it. Nothing in this quite tops that. However, there is a train sequence that is the way it escalates 
it's just insane. And I will say that maybe that was the moment when I was moving in my seat the most and going like, oh shit, this is like, you know, because the, that's where the payoff of they do as many real stunts in these movies as they can. And then of course there's the motorcycle jump that everyone's seen from the trailer. The yeah. movie builds up to that in a very almost funny way of like making you wait for it. But when you see it coming, you're no pun intended. You see it from a mile away. I mean, but you're sitting there going like, oh man, I, he's going to have to jump off a fucking mountain on a motorcycle, isn't he? <laughs> and the way the movie plays with what you think you know about that stuff. I don't know. I just think it's very interesting kind of to all the things you said um, about the yeah. type of franchise this is. It's about the sequences. It's about the stunts. <clears throat> it's it's got It's got people, other characters we really care a lot about. I do think this movie's early scenes are kind of hurt by the i attributed it to like a covid filmmaking thing where like maybe actors weren't always in the same room together but there's scenes with like uh luther and benji talking where it the angles there's like weird close-ups that break the the break mm. the you know the uh what is it the the rule of like i forget what the crosses the line where it's like the eye lines don't quite match up and you can't yeah, tell yeah, what's yeah. going on and there's one scene with a bunch of bureaucrats talking where it's a group of people briefing the kittredge the main sort of bureaucrat in this movie and the people briefing him, they all trade off saying like sentences. It's as if they've all memorized the same script and they're all trading off their sentences. And it's just like, oh, every actor in this scene gets a chance to say something. But it'd yeah. be like the, this weapon is one of the greatest weapons anyone's ever created. And another one says it could kill a thousand people in two seconds. And then the other one says, and you wouldn't even know it. You know, it's like and it feels a little <laughs> bit like it was a little too much of that. However, yeah. however, I think sure. that once this movie establishes its rhythms and gets into that meat of the story, and it might be like you said it, Steve, when Haley Atwell's character kind of enters and becomes part of the thing, I feel like it really took off. And I'm not yeah. saying all that's because of her. I'm just saying because at that point, the plot has been firmly established and it's all that uh, AI stuff. It's like the, the the MacGuffin of the movie. It it I, In my opinion, it took like 15 or 20 minutes to set that up. That could have been maybe five minutes um, but I don't want to always, we talked about this after Oppenheimer. I'm, I'm sick of, I might just not say it ever again. I'm sick of always saying movies could be shorter. We all know, <laughs> we all know the moment, you know, that most movies should be like an hour and 40 minutes. We all know that. Yeah. Um, so let's just say like for the last time, movies could be shorter. This movie could have been shorter, but to your point, Steve, it doesn't drag as it goes on. It's amping up. And if yeah, you were I thinking if you were thinking this is starting off a little slow, by the time it kicks off, you're not like I, I wasn't like looking back on that bumpy opening stretch. But I did feel like the first three or four scenes were like not quite connected enough for there to be real momentum. And I was beginning to think, oh, has, is this movie a little stop and start? And then once it started, I was like, oh, OK, I'm, I'm not not too worried about it. Um, yeah, it does. It does feel like it picks up momentum as the movie goes. And I. And I do think that train sequence at the end, something I noticed is like, you know, there's a lot of action sequences that definitely feel like, you know, somebody might criticize them as like, you know, they're retreading like scenes that have already been done in prior mission films um, or, or at least similar to the prior ones. Like, you know, there's like that, that there's like a sandstorm scene and the train scene um, and like a car chase, you know, all these things have happened in other films. Yes. But I do feel like they've found ways to like kind of escalate them in some ways, especially with the train sequence, because you're right at like the last like three minutes of that train sequence. Like I was not comfortable in my seat yeah. as well. Like it was very, very awesomely made, like just the, you know, you you, you have us, you know, you feel like, you know, your main characters are going to probably be fine. But just like going through the sequences, the situation that they were in and like you said, the practicality of how they shoot it. It's just like, it just makes it so much more tangible. And like, 
seeing them bounce off of seats and like j- climb up on top of a train, like mm-hmm. that stuff just is so much better. And I hate to say it, like comparing it to like Dial of Destiny, the train mm-hmm. sequence in that, it's just like, I think that's where you really see the difference between these shots when they're like practical and not. And you know, they do so much of this stuff for real in the mission films that, uh, you know, it just makes it even more impressive, I think. And then, yeah, the train sequence is awesome. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I really, really, I think Fallout's probably still up there for me as, as kind of the peak. Um, but this is, I mean, this is, it's, it's on par. Like it, it's in the conversation. Like it's as entertaining as any other mission film. Okay, you know what this felt felt like to me, Steve, and 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 this is not a knock necessarily. This is just to add clarity to it, to you know, to Ronald, because this is we've talked about the Fast and the Furious movies, how they had kind of, and even though those aren't those aren't my jam, I know that around the fourth one. They hit a new gear, and then then the fifth one really exploded into that world. And then people liked the fifth, sixth, seventh one a lot. And then after that, the eighth one, I don't like that one as much. Well, the ninth one could be better. The tenth one, did we just see the tenth one? (laughs) We did, right? Yeah. Um, Oh, that's part one of two, whatever. Like, I feel like this movie... It, this this was the first time that this series felt like okay it's still got that class that you expect from the mission impossible movies but it was dipping a little bit into that i can see a fast and the furious effect because especially with the villain being this kind of high concept thing yeah but this whole idea of well there's one man who can do it and it's like you know how in fast and the furious it's always a little silly to believe that the government uh like espionage experts would be like these former car thieves are the people that we need to parachute <laughs> in and some in some muscle cars but like you buy it if you are into those movies you buy it for the fun of it like that that's just it's silly but we get past it mission impossible james bond i feel like it it you it's not we're not quite going into like roger moore bond territory but we are getting into a little bit more of you just have to believe that the that the impossible mission impossible mission force is this like they literally go rogue every time you know what i mean it's like even in the movie people talk about it how it's like this guy has gone rogue his last 10 missions or whatever so it is a little bit of a joke and it's a little bit silly but i was thinking how oh what if this what if this franchise had a couple three movies in a row that were a little bit huge and amped up and a little bit sillier it's like would i mind if they still have visceral action sequences like the ones you're talking about and i don't think i would particularly i think it would lose a little bit if it lost that kind of that patina of class. But um, I don't think, again, I just like, I don't think leaning into Tom Cruise aging hurts the the character that yeah. much. Yeah. Um, also in this movie, it's speaking of fast and the furious, they do a great job of making the sort of family vibe, like important, his whole thing that's in, in the trailer where he says that um, the, your lives always matter more to you, to me than my own, you know, like it's a great line. It's a great oh. line and you super feel it. And it's the thing that keeps me coming back to these movies on a certain level is knowing that at some point they're going to break my heart with one of these yep. characters that, that helps him, you know, and um, that's something a lot of these types of movies don't have is that, I mean, Fast, Fast and the Furious has that sense of an, of a family of characters, but once everybody dies and comes back, it's like, well, okay. Um, you know, it doesn't have the same, <laughs> it doesn't hit the same as in this series, you would believe someone sure. would die and it would mean something. It wouldn't be like, you know, setting up for another one. So I don't know. I think, I think, yeah, I think this, the, the, the health of the franchise is, is strong. Um, even if I don't think this is the best Mission Impossible movie, it's like that is a that is actually a very high bar. Honestly, the way I feel about Fallout is that it was one of the best totally. theater movie going experiences I've ever had. So, <clears throat> holy moly, guacamole! Man, I got to I got to see it in the theater. Man. Well, I was not saying that about this one. I was saying that about Fallout. I'm saying this one's oh. pretty pretty damn good. But the Fallout, last one, Fallout's was, the last one. 
Yeah, that's where. I mean, oh my, that's God. the Henry. That's Henry, that's the Henry Cavill, Henry Cavill cocking his arms. His arms, is, yeah. It's got, like I feel like the, that in and of itself can't be beat by any other movie. <laughs> there's there's only one scene that really compares to it. It's like this this it's like um, Jackie Chan movie, and it's him in this like clay face dude, and he's like fighting him. It's like a ten minute fight scene that's relentless. He beats him. And then Jackie kind of realizes that he has to fight in his own style. He was trying to fight his style. Yeah. And it had a similar sort of feel to it. That right. movie in the that movie was special, man. That's why I'm excited about this one. Yeah. Henry Cavill, like you said, you mentioned this off run, but he better he maybe he'll come back to the franchise. To, <laughs> I would love to see him come back. He's like, I didn't die. I was he's so off. super dead, but him coming back with like cybernetic parts, <laughs> yes. you never know. Like after this, it's after you have one. AI as the villain, you know, it, it, you could <laughs> there's a lot of stuff you could do. I kind of I'm so curious about what you mean by that. But but I don't want you to give it away. Is it no, yeah, no, yeah. just just go see yeah. it. Yeah, just we'll yeah. talk more. Okay. I mean, you do have Isai Morales as like a, a heavy. He, you know, you do have a, a, a human. Okay villain it's not that it's not super but but it, but it is it's not like steve a floating said, head just like no, but as steve said it does go a little bit beyond i don't know it's like it's kind of what i'm saying it's like a little bit of a heightening of the world a little bit of a, mm. a, a not quite comic booking of it but a little bit more close inching towards like sci-fi or something you mm. know mm. but um you know tom cruise invented that genre so he can do it if he if he wants yeah. brick by brick though <laughs> brick <by> brick <laughs> Cool. So you guys suggest seeing it. Okay. That's, yes. that's, that's, that's so Steve, cool. what do you think about calling it part one? Do you think they should have just called it dead reckoning? Because this doesn't feel mm. like an incomplete movie. I want to say that it doesn't feel like fast and the furious. It doesn't feel like mm. across the spider verse. It ends with, with a mission still to pursue that branches off, but this movie makes a complete loop of a story. It's not like one of those recent movies that really is like half a half of a story. I, I didn't think, I mean, you, for reasons I don't want to spoil, I, I I can't explain what I mean by that. But I didn't feel like this movie yeah. left me okay. going. What happens in the next five minutes? What happens in the next ten minutes? It feels Perfect. like we're at a resting place, not a not in the middle of a of a moment. It's more like the yeah. end of Empire Strikes Back or something like that. Okay. Cool. Like, yeah, oh. it, it's def. I mean, I, I I guess I see why it's got the part one again without spoiling anything in terms of how the movie ends. Um, so no, I I think I think it works for the movie. I do agree though that it's like this is a complete movie. You know, um, you know, I'm like Fast and the Furious or even some people have felt that way about Spider-Verse, but um, not, I wasn't one of those, by the way. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think the, the disdainful way I, that you said that <laughs> I, I think that I think the title is fine. Um, okay. I think the I think the way it ends, it does end this story. But, you know, we're we're halfway there, I guess, you know, yeah. without spoiling something. Um, but. Yeah. So do you, so do you think we really get the next one next year? Do you think there's any chance no. of that? Yeah. No. No. I mean, I, I heard somewhere. I forget, I forget. I think it was Haley Atwell. Maybe someone said that they've only shot like forty percent of it. Yeah. Boy. Okay. You know, if she's if that's accurate, and I don't know if that was as of you know how how long ago, but I mean, um, you know, a lot was shot. It's a lot of stuff they shot for part two while part one was shooting. Uh, but I mean, part one was so like riddled with COVID stuff that like there was like nine different rap sessions. Like if she was on the Happy Sack Confused podcast and she was basically like, you know, she she rapped like eight or nine times on part one, you know, like because they had to break it out so much because of COVID and shutdowns and 
moving and now everything's you know, shut down moving, too right moving continents and shit like that like it's just uh so i don't know where that leaves part two but yeah there's uh both both spider-verse and you know mission there's i, I don't see any way we're getting those movies next year but I don't, that'd be nice if we did but yeah. take your time make them yeah. awesome because both of them deserve like an amazing final one yeah um yeah. so yeah let's uh move on to oppenheimer to the, the big one of the big two this week the the one half of a barbenheimer <laughs> um christopher nolan's, wild, christopher nolan's oppenheimer which has been uh talked about a lot there's been a lot of uh you know it's i was trying to think of something last night when we talked after seeing it and i was just like it's kind of crazy to think about like about tenants release and, you know, very openly, like people know about like how unhappy he was about like the way Universal handled that release. Yeah. And he moved over what or, or Warner Brothers, he, yeah. how Warner Brothers handled it. And he moved over to Universal um, for his next film, which was then announced to be Oppenheimer. And now it's kind of <laughs> culminated into this weekend because he, he loves this like second, third weekend in July. It's like one of his that's like his date. Yeah, for his movies, and it's crazy that like they're going against each other, and it's like rival studios, and you know his former home. But it's but just also wild. two properties that couldn't be more like not not opposed, but like just the the, the picture of Barbie next. You know, I mean, just the the optics of it, the the imagery is it's very but, it makes for a nice contrast. It's an interesting example of how the movies are kind of back in a way, or never quite ended. But like the, 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 you could see Barbie, or you can see Hoppenheimer this weekend. You know, I mean, I think that's where the memes began. Was just that it felt like everyone wanted to go see both of these movies, and they seem yeah. on the face of it like there's they couldn't be more different. You know, so it's an interesting. But it's just like weekend. the idea of like two big blockbusters coming out the same weekend right. well that's what i mean but and and, and they're that different and, and it's like counter programming you couldn't have planned it better if you were looking at counter programming yeah know? but just like sure. yeah and just like the history of it it's just so it's just kind of wild to think about you know that the, the next thing post all that drama around tenant and you know theatrical and protecting the you know all that stuff and now it's like yeah your next one is going is, to is, is 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 you know it's gonna it's not gonna it, it was never gonna win a head to head with Barbie no, like right. it was never projected to either like John said it's it's there these are different offerings but they could serve the you know they they both can serve the same person and many people like you know there there's enough to each of them that would you know I I can't wait to see Barbie mm -hmm. and I couldn't wait to see Oppenheimer you know like all three of us were interested in both but it's just like. It's just, you know, that story piece of it for Nolan, because Nolan is like one. And I said it to Ronald after we left the movie last night. It was like, he may be the, he may be the director brand, you know, like that, that really the movie is really most of what people are talking about or seeing, like he's one of those directors of, of, again, I don't know, maybe a handful. Who else? Maybe Jordan Peele, maybe, uh, maybe Tarantino, maybe Tarantino. But I mean, the thing yeah. with those, well, especially with Tarantino, is that his movies always have like, and and don't get me wrong, no one has stars in his movies, but like the movie isn't the isn't aren't the stars for him. I don't think you know the movies, the the scope of the movies of Tarantino films, and and Nolan films, like they're 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 in the same conversation. But I feel like some of Tarantino's films, like their performances or in the actors or how big the actors are in those lead roles, you know. I guess go hand in hand with 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 Tarantino. Where like with Nolan, 
at least in this one. And honestly, even in Tenet, you know, like the leads in these movies aren't aren't stars. They're not they're not box office draws. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I want to go there with you, but I do think that the stars are on display in the trailer. Even if even if you don't think Cillian Murphy is a big name, you still see Matt Damon in the trailer for Oppenheimer. You know what I mean? Sure. And Matthew McConaughey. So it was was in Interplanetary. So I don't. I guess I'm um, <laughs> Interstellar. Interstellar. A friend of mine <laughs> yeah. made a low budget sci fi movie called Interplanetary that I always get screwed up in my head with Interstellar. Couldn't be less. Uh, you know, on the on the money skip spectrum, it couldn't be further away <laughs> from that movie. <laughs> but I, I I think you're right. But I also think that part of it reminds me of Paul Thomas Anderson, maybe. Um, who might not always have a big star at the center of one of his movies either, but you right. from, just from who's in the movie, you get the idea that anyone will work with this guy, you know? And I think that Nolan has that quality of like, he could get anybody to be in these movies. And I think the part of the fun of Tarantino, it's almost the Coen brothers thing of like, oh, look who showed up to have fun in the Tarantino world. You know, that's yeah. a little yeah. different from the Nolan world where it's not like who showed up to have fun, but there is a lot of fun if they if you want to call it that in a movie like uh oppenheimer like looking at who pops up in a small role the character actors that he uses it's not quite soderbergh pulling in like comics and and you know funny people to fill in the weird roles but it is like a good bit of adroit casting that really like even if it's not a big character seeing someone in the background of a few scenes uh like i think james urbaniak is in one scene in this movie uh yeah. and he doesn't say anything and but he brings something to it and him being in it adds to it you know so there is something to what you're saying about the sort of quirky ensembles in a way that uh that exists in a nolan film but i still feel like anybody would answer that call you know yeah, I think I think Paul Thomas Anderson is probably like a comp, a better comp from what I'm describing. But if you compare the two of them, it's like they're in different conversations because Nolan is a box office draw. Right. You know, PTA's like movies don't don't make big box or most of them don't have big box office receipts. You know, Tarantino does. I'd also argue that, like, you know, if you look at the posters for the movies, you know, with the exception of maybe Batman, you know, the, the star of the movie you know, is on the poster or, or no actors are on the poster at all. It's just like Christopher Nolan is across the top of this poster. And I think that's a big draw for a lot of yeah. people, you know, more Tarantino is a good one. You, you know, even like, like the name means a lot, but I'm specifically speaking to the box office draw. No, I know what you're saying. Like you Spielberg know? used to maybe mean exactly like that. Exactly. Like it used to be like that I, used the new to Spielberg movie. Yes. Uh, maybe even Tim Burton, like we, if we want totally to go back agree. to his, yes. his run of successes. I get what you're going yes. for. Yeah, yeah. There's more. Yeah, Jordan someone... Peele is in the conversation yeah. for sure. Like he's got a he's got a brand as a director, right? But it's a know? mainstream appeal that yes. we're talking yes. about. Yes, no, that's I what I'm. That's right. what I'm referring yeah. to. No, no, no. Good. It, it, you're right. It is a that is like a not necessarily a more rarefied air, but it is a different group because we're talking about. I mean. We're, we are talking about good movies, but we're also talking about that get people to come in. So we're talking about right, songs. and he also <laughs> stakes out, and he also stakes out a prime weekend in the middle of summer blockbuster season. You know, like that—that's a flex too, as a right, as right. a. But yeah, I don't know. But yeah, uh, Ronald, why don't you kick it off? Because you know, we we were talking about mission a, a bit ago. Uh, why don't you start us off for Oppenheimer? Why, why don't you drop in the Heimer? The hammer, sure. Oppenheimer. I'm Oppenheimer. Yeah. That sounded weird. It did. It made me uncomfortable. Dropping hammer on Oppenheimer. <clears throat> so Oppenheimer, uh, Chris Nolan's Escape from Warner Brothers. Uh, what a big, <laughs> big movie. I mean, it had a lot of a lot riding on it. You know, it, this is, mm -hmm. feels a little more like it. Uh, 
What I didn't realize until I kind of set foot in the theater and sat down and started watching it is this is his godfather. This is his, you know, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane is first, you know, the Palmos. JFK. Yeah, to, to, to Palmer was Scarface yeah. to me. Uh, but oh, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. There's something about, I mean, and Batman too, obviously, those, but those are kind of different. Those are like IP sort of things versus a historical thing. He's taking on this. This is first like story. official, like true story. I mean, Dunkirk was based yeah, on facts, yeah. but this is his first that's like, you know, an attempt to take a historical uh, figure and explore yeah, them. Yeah. And it's the most out there I've seen him. To be completely honest with you, I, I kind of watched the the companion documentary that came out on uh, Peacock, the To End All War, Oppenheimer oh, yeah. and the Atomic Bomb. He's in yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't I, seen I saw him. That. I saw that. Yeah, he's in every. He's like outside. He's like promoting it. He's he's really showing his face, which is really cool. So yeah, you know, th- this feels like a fight that he's. It, that's a little different than it was before. It feels like he kind of took, you know, I, I kind of talked about this before. Um, you know, when like Danny McBride, Danny McBride had like two or three different things before this. And then he combined those elements to make this thing. So I, you know, pacing wise, I don't think that this thing is perfect by any means, but in terms of scope covered in this thing, I mean, he, 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 covers the little guy the big guy the in between mm-hmm. the, the the implications of what it would do to you mentally you know this dichotomy of who he who he kind of turned himself into which they kind of downplayed a little bit the oppy sort of personality that he had was a lot more of a switch than people than it was presented in the movie apparently yeah. he was nothing like that before like on any level he was kind of a person that people really despised and then he was just like i'm gonna travel and become oppie this cool oppie j also was another name that he had. Uh, go ahead go you were saying no i was gonna say it's a great that's a great observation because there's even a line in the movie where like some i forget who it was it might have been one of the, the it might have been the safety brother that's in the movie makes the mm-hmm. comment that like He's like no longer primarily a scientist. He's now a politician. Yeah, like was, like that that characterization of himself. It, it, right. it is a switch in the movie that you can feel, like you're yeah. saying, really. Yeah. So it's it's cool to see the scope that they covered. I mean, you know, even if it's like not as in depth as like a book, maybe or like a doc that specifically focuses on these things. But man, I you know, I, I'll talk about the things that I liked first, and then I'll let you guys run robbing it. But yeah, it's 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 not well paced the first like 20 minutes or so, but once it finds its ground and starts moving, it really picks up. It really is. You feel the effects of the arm race arms race. You feel um, this urgency that may have been kind of exaggerated within the circles that he was in Um, the relationships that he had, the, the conflict that he had that would, that would inevitably being his unraveling, you know, at some point, just being responsible for that many people dying is is a a heavy idea, and creating a weapon of mass destruction, but using right. your skill of science to reel you in, like how can you make something that exceeds the science of another group? That you know, that's it's it's so manipulative, but it's it's such a cool thing to watch a man kind of be like, I I gotta outdo these people. 
<laughs> I got to outdo the murder. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's a really, Nolan could have skipped over that in like a ant in, in, in a pro America sort of thing. And he really takes these stances that are so anti whatever that propaganda is in some ways, but very showing you what it means to kind of buy into those ideas that is so cool and subtle and, and it just, it's genius. And I was telling, this is the last thing the, I was telling Steve, it, it was crazy that I was able to follow all of this stuff and really get what was happening. And sometimes it feels like movies are purposefully trying to lose you in that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The fact I mean, that you I mean heard... Nolan in particular, uh, sometimes like there's a puzzle aspect to his movies. Yeah, that yeah. You don't really know until you get to the end what he was doing at the beginning. Yes. Um, and, and that might be irrelevant to the type of movie that it is. And sometimes like with a movie like The Prestige, that's like the part of the point of the movie is mm -hmm. to like do that to you. And it seems like he likes like even Dunkirk, which didn't seem to need trickery. <laughs> there's storytelling trickery in it. But yeah, I still feel like you get something out of it. When you get to the end, you can say why he did that or why telling the story that way was a valid approach i mean not right, that it right. always is you know what i'm saying though like yeah, i think yeah, I, yeah. that's what you said to me when we were walking out last night was that like this was a case where you felt like you understood the way that he was fractalizing the story uh, more while it was happening or you understood the purpose of it more while it was happening even if this is the movie that seems like it would need it the least but i feel like we're getting into someone's mind and we're talking about like reality smashing and splitting the idea splitting atoms but splitting ideas too splitting scenes splitting yeah. i mean there is something very appropriate about the way this movie isn't tethered in time um even if um even if sometimes, yeah, you might say, well, why does why is this story that would be compelling if told straight? Why is it being told as kind of a puzzle? Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, well, I guess I'll throw in uh, Ronald. You know, I'll, I'll do the same thing. We'll I'll, I'll talk about the stuff I, I liked or loved, and then we can get into you know whatever um, other thoughts we might have. I, I do think we were walking out. Um, the word I used, I said I was bored. I, I think the word I was on the way home. I thought about it. It's like I think exhausted was the word mm. more that I would have used. Is that the movie? I was having a little bit more of a problem than you were, Ronald. Like finding my footing in those fractals scenes like especially the first chunk i felt like i was watching kind of a bad biopic like the scenes mm. of him meeting a new character and then them saying something to him and then it cuts and he meets another character it felt like a clunky kind of biopic however beautifully acted and really interestingly edited and well shot and i was like okay i'm i'm this dialogue being kind of basic wasn't really hurting my engagement in the movie um and I did feel like there were some moments that kind of rushed past, like, oh, we got to introduce this character. We got to introduce that character. And I don't know that we needed all the stuff that they introduced. Like, I really don't know if the personal relationships that they show with Florence Pugh and with Emily Blunt's character, I don't know that I felt that stuff, the necessity of that stuff. Um, I think the actresses are good. And I think Christopher Nolan is, he catches shit for being bad with female characters or just not giving them much to do. And this movie felt like, I mean, there were some moments towards the end where I feel like, Emily Blunt's character, her her actions and her words would have had more weight with me if I had any idea how he really felt about her. But I had no yeah. concept. I didn't get any sense of how Robert Oppenheimer felt about his wife. You know, it felt like he was holding her at arm's length the whole movie. Um, but outside of those those kind of issues, as I was going through it, what I found was not that it ramped up and then it got better as it went along, but that when it got to the end, I thought back to that that beginning. 
And I was able to see more. Oh, I see now more what they were doing with at least the way it was fractalized, at least like why we were seeing this version of him, this version of him. And this, there's like three different levels of the story. And I started yeah. to understand a little bit more like why maybe we were seeing it. I mean, even why it was filmed the way it was. We have some stuff in black and white. And then I think we have some black and white stuff that's in a different aspect ratio. Uh, and then there's there's like there's like two or three different periods. It reminds you of something like Dunkirk, where you're watching interlocking stories that are taking place over different periods of time. But instead of simultaneous stories like in Dunkirk, we're seeing like and it's, you're right, Ronald, you have to catch up. You have to stay, you have to keep up with the narrative in this movie. But what I thought this movie did brilliantly was hit you with that exact stuff that it needed to hit you with, which is just the moral choices of this man and how maybe you might call it a moral failing or a, a submission to his own ego that had horrific consequences for the future of the world. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean there's no way to talk about this subject and make it sound as big as it is. The choices that were made by the scientists and the people that were using the scientists in this period of history are choices that could keep you up at night today. If you really think about not just that the world we're in where, where right. there's so many different ways to destroy us all, but the idea yeah. that people had these choices in front of them and they made the choices that they did and that it became part of this American myth of, of, of saving lives by, by, by doing this horrendous thing and how we did it. Everyone else does horrible things, but America does horrible things for the right reasons, you know, and this movie really, like you said, Ronald, it's not un-American, but it chips away at the, at the, at the lie that Americans sleep on. Um, yeah. uh, and I don't mean sleep on like aren't aware of, I mean, sleep on like you tell yourself this lie so that you can sleep at night. You know, um, yeah. this movie really feels bold and shocking and upsetting in that way. And I do think Oppenheimer is a character. You can hang all that on uh, and not have it feel like too much. I think the stuff that's kind of funny about Christopher Nolan is you feel like he identifies with Oppenheimer on some weird level. Um, yeah. But I think that's I think true so. of all the great like narcissistic filmmakers. Their ego is part of what makes their movies big and great. And so him pumping you, know, him believing that maybe he sees a little of himself in Oppenheimer is both him pumping himself up and him tearing himself down. Um, but um, I think if you didn't have that kind of relating to the character, you couldn't do as intimate and weird uh, as this movie is, I think that it's a very, you couldn't do this movie the way that it's done. If you didn't find something in, in Oppie that, um, uh, that speaks to you. And we should say Cillian Murphy is, is insanely great in this. Yeah. Role. Like to his, his eyes communicate so much. Um, you, you somehow see that he sees what's happening even when he's in denial about it. And I think that's like, not every yeah. actor can play that kind of ambiguity. Well, well hit us with it. Why don't you drop in the Heimer? Uh, Steve, <laughs> stop, stop! Stop trying to make drop in the Heimer happen. Uh, I'm gonna get t-shirts uh, printed. Uh, uh, no, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I coming out of theater, I felt like you know I was definitely the highest of the three of us. Like I, I definitely, um, I was kind of blown away by it. To be honest with you, like I feel like the the score, and yeah, just you know, it, it's it's and it's consistent for Nolan, and you know, this is a Hoyta uh, is the cinematographer for this one um who also did speaking of jordan peele before did nope um, okay yeah i can see that but yeah it just it's just a beautiful i mean this is like one of the reasons yeah you you make that pitch of seeing movies in theaters like this is the one you see on a yeah. big screen a yeah. loud theater you know this this is the experience kind of movie for sure no question um but yeah i i honestly was kind of just blown away by the scope of it the performances are incredible i love this idea of you know black and white and color and subjective and objective uh, narratives 
um, which is kind of what he's commented on in a lot of recent interviews that, you know, that that's the intention of the black and white versus color, Um, like following Downey's character and following uh, uh, Kelly Murphy as, as Oppenheimer. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I think the scope of all the performances, we, all the different actors that kind of come to play, even if it's for a scene, some, you know, that are promoted and some are, some were, were very nice surprises that I won't mention uh, on this discussion, just so people can go out and maybe be su- as surprised as, as we were. I know for one of them, I like looked at John and I was like, I had no clue he was in this movie. And we were both like, yeah, me either. This yeah. is amazing. Um, and, and it's, it's great. a great scene. And yeah, scene. Right. yeah it's, a, it's a wonderful scene. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I, I got to say something and I felt the exact same way about Dunkirk and and not so much about Tenant. Tenant was eh, for me, but I feel like Dunkirk, like, is kind of the same feeling I had walking out of out of uh, Oppenheimer. Where like, I was in the bag to see this movie. The scope looked amazing. The story looked really interesting. I I, I really do love Christopher Nolan films in general and as a filmmaker. But I didn't. I did not expect to like it as much as I did. And I felt that way about Dunkirk to the point that like it was in, like my top five movies that year. And I and I have no doubt that this is one of the best movies I feel like I've seen this year in a theater. Oh yeah. And I I I just I was blown away by the performances. Um, a lot of the times in the movies, like when the score is kind of swelling, and and you mentioned it last night, John. Like you see these like flashes of visuals, like crackling and like like dust and particles and like lights, like ribbons of light, mm-hmm. kind of swirling around him as he's like you know having this fracture. Um, like a, but also like a character who maybe has visions of some world within the yeah, world yeah, yeah. that looks yeah, like yeah. that. So it's like you don't know if you're seeing like you don't know quite what you're seeing in those moments, but it feels right. it brings you in for sure. But yeah, I don't know. Like I just it, it that feeling I had leaving the theater was something that is very rare, which is just like I went in with expectations and, you know, I feel like they were exceeded for one. But like it's just a feeling of like, wow, like I I I like that so much more than I thought I would. And I usually have a pretty good read on movies. And I don't know why it would be like now two of the last three Nolan films I've felt that way about because <laughs> I do really like his films. Like, it, like they're always some of my favorites, you know, but I don't know. Well, before I just... the movie, we were talking about like three hours and it felt like maybe it was going to be a little dry. And honestly, it, if, if it had been a standard biopic type movie and it had been three hours, it would have been a drag. But this yeah. is not a standard biopic like this does not. And even with like the last half hour, not even having to do with necessarily what you think the thrust of the movie right. is going to be. Yeah. Um, I feel like that was a real risk. But some of the most emotional payoffs come in those smaller moments between the characters. And I was going to say some of my favorite scenes are between uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Alden Ehrenreich, which is not something yeah. I would have expected to say about this movie, you know, and it's like until you see it, you won't know what it's <clears throat> all about. Um but uh, yeah, I, I just yeah, the, the, the way that those scenes build on one another, like the whole Trinity sequence and the testing sequence and what you come to the movie to see, really, all that stuff is incredible. That scene is but amazing. I, I, I think what yeah. pushes it over for me in this, this in this feeling that I'm describing is like really where that movie like the, when where it kicks in in those last 30 minutes of the of the bouncing back and forth of like the hearings and the Downey character and Oppenheimer's, you know, like. I just think that that stuff works so well and the tension and, and, and the suspense is just so honestly, it feels like it's building to like a moment of, ex- of just explosion, like, you know, yeah. not to be funny about it, but it really does feel when you're going back and forth and seeing scenes that we've seen two times earlier in the movie, but for a third time from a different perspective, like 
it's just a really creative and and it, maybe it's what Nolan has kind of become known for with it's, this. It scene. is exactly what he does. Yeah. 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 He's got that like moment towards that third act where it's like, a, I don't know if you say it's a twist or it's a, it's a little bit of a twist. It's a reveal. But it's a reveal. Great. Yeah. That's the better way to say it. But yeah, I don't know. Like you're right though. I, I will acknowledge that it, it the, the beginning of the movie does, does drag a little bit. Um, I don't know that I felt like it was like, I, I wasn't lost or like, you know, out of it at that point, but it did take a little bit to kind of get going. I feel like once Matt Damon's character comes in, the movie just really kicks into gear and doesn't stop. Yeah. And all the way to like just a, a, a like a photo finish with the last sequence of the movie and 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 just the close up and push on his face. It just it's just it's just an incredible th- last thirty minutes. I mean, just well, Matt phenomenal. Damon's scenes with uh, Killian Murphy are like. Um... I mean, th- th- their energy, t- you wouldn't even picture those guys having the kind of chemistry that they have, but somehow yeah, Matt yeah. Damon manages to bring, he manages to do that thing that like, you know, fr- frankly, an actor like Robert Downey Jr. can do in a movie like this, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. inject a kind of humor uh, that that it needs. And I think that this movie actually had several, I mean, w- w- you know, he's not known for his chuckles, uh, Christopher Nolan, but this movie had some pretty solid, like character-based bits of dialogue. And I also thought watching it with not a huge crowd, but watching it with a decent crowd, I I, I was like, oh, this movie's got a couple of gotcha moments or damn or whatever, where you hear someone in the crowd go like, ooh, or whatever. I don't know. I I was, I was like, okay, I don't always expect that from a Christopher Nolan movie, or I don't always think of him injecting that kind of humanity (laughs) into his, into his movies. And I feel like this movie does have a kind of messy, humanity and yeah you mentioned jfk a minute ago i think i kept thinking about there will be blood because of the way it's a peculiarly american story about a type of man whose choices have affected us all (laughs) yeah Yeah. except a more literal version of that and also just the epic scope of the way that it's filmed i feel like some of the scenes of the building the bomb reminded me of the scenes of like digging oil wells and stuff like that in that movie for sure and then the jfk thing of like going into history and digging in and like doing a little bit of a of uh, of a whodunit with history uh, as far as like, what's the real story here? And I think that if anything hurts that stuff from a cinematic standpoint, it's the fact that we keep coming back to the same crappy little room that the, mm-hmm. that the hearing's happening in. But I think by the end of the movie, that was an asset. I think it was oh, in the totally. middle of the movie that I was like, oh man, we keep coming back to this goddamn room. Um, yeah. But I think by the time it gets to the end and, and you realize, I don't know, just the different layers of what we've been seeing. Um, I think it I think it comes together really, really beautifully at the end. And I think that's all intentional, too. Like, I, I love the me say reveal. Like, I feel like between the two characters, like one wants to be on a stage and and one wants to push the other into a corner. Mm-hmm. And like I, I just love that, like when it kind of comes together uh, with those two kind of character perspectives towards the end. But um, yeah, man, I, I, I thought it was great. I, I, it, it is, it is like, yeah, three hours is man. This is, this is a experience for sure. But, and, um, you had asked me like when we were walking out around, like, do you think you'll watch it again? I mean, I, I honestly do. And I've like, I do I've, too. I've, I've watched Dunkirk multiple times. I mean, like I, I just, the, the movie really is just like, it really hit me kind of hard last night. And I was like talking to Aaron about it a lot more than she probably cared to hear. Cause like, she doesn't really know a whole lot about it. And I'm just like, okay, well, like, you know, we need to go see this again while it's still in theater before it leaves. It'll be our poor wife. Yeah, I know. I know. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. She's like, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Emily, Emily Blunt's in that. I was like, yeah, yeah, that one. Um, But Nikki will say, how was the movie? And I'm like, oh, yeah. uh, (laughs) Should I just say, should I just say good and move on? (laughs) Right, right. 
Oh, would I like it? Is is what she means? You know, um, have you seen that? It's a little short video this guy made where it's like him laying in bed and he's like sitting there looking kind of bored. And then it says, "Me when I remember I have a wife to annoy." And a guy jumps up. And he like runs through the house to go find his <laughs> wife. Too. But um, no, I I I found myself thinking. I mean, honestly, I I feel like my last twenty four hours has been colored by thinking about this movie too. So yeah, you know, I think right. that's. I mean, again, I think that Christopher Nolan fans are going to go into it and say, yes, this guy makes masterworks. I think people who maybe are checked out on him a little bit might find a little bit more to this one. This one feels a little bit more. Um, you, you said you were talking about it, Ronald, the great films. I mean, this feels a little bit yeah. like it's it's a portrait it's... of a huge person that those types of movies yeah. can age really well. Like a Citizen Kane. I wasn't joking when I said 100%. that. Like, people yeah. still talk about so much about the choices made in that movie because of how and and there will be blood too like that kind of central character that feels like it says something about our world um yeah those movies live on he did a trick man he did a trick i thought this would be the least accessible movie that he's done and it wound up being the most accessible in a like weird really human yeah 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 it's 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 like the pacing like once it gets into it like the, there's some shots that i'm thinking of that are gonna i always say this like in the like in the real, you know, you watch the mm-hmm. real for the like, you know, 10 years from now, they're like, cinema is made one director at a time with, a, you know, they show yeah. the it's they're going to be like three shots from this movie that are going to be in it. And that's just just there's going to be way more than that. But yeah, there's three I could think of that are just in the top of my mind, just of like how things feel and how things look and you, I don't think I realized just I've heard about Oppenheimer, like who he runs into, who he's interacted with, who he's in the same circle as. Like what part of history he's really part of. Yeah. Yes. And when you figure out and when you figure out like the relation, the dynamic with some of them made me oddly emotional. Oh, yeah. I think I think you you you, you think about I mean, it's uh, one of the things I can't escape is where do I fit into this story as as a as a black man as a black american and honestly i don't i don't fit into a lot of this i don't fit into the narrative i don't the the rules that were made up excluded me and still do in a lot of ways and so when i see things like this that are celebratory in some ways kind of a a pat on the back for for some version of whatever it is that happened i get a little weirded out i didn't but <laughs> i don't know how this happened even with that said I didn't feel like uh, I still knew I was watching something really special. Well, see, I didn't feel like, like this movie was celebratory at all. I felt like this movie was no. Was I just very, mean like very, it, it existing uh, is celebratory. It, it existing is celebratory. That's what I mean. The fact that it exists in the world mm-hmm. and there's like no stories about other like non-black people besides like Malcolm X. I mean, non-white people besides like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and. There's some there's some people in between that did cool. Sh- where's the where's the like the, the uh you know there's a, there's other stories to be told is all I'm saying and uh and I just mean celebratory as in it exists in the world to, for mm. people to see. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I, the only thing I would say is that this movie is so critical. I, I feel like oh, it's super critical. I, I feel like the fact that this movie is sort of if you want to call it like a movie about white culture, <laughs> I feel like it's an extremely, yeah. uh, extremely damning portrait 
of of that of of the sort of culture that would make this choice. Yeah, that's, that's what made I was... in this movie. You know what I mean? And it's like it almost seems like it's reckoning with exactly what it is you're saying, which is yeah. like, look at the people in this room making this decision, like, and look yeah. at what it did to our world and how much people. Now the patent on the back that happens in like that's happened in like documentaries for for decades. This this yeah. movie almost like takes that that pat on the back back. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the fact that. It he even has a stance like that means that it's a more again this is the accessible thing i was talking about for me more accessible to me because it's still like it's creating questions and that's that's all i want you know i don't i i don't want everybody to be like you know i'm sorry that this happened (laughs) you know i'm sorry i'm sorry that this happened i'm sorry that you weren't in this history but just christopher nolan being like this is a conflict this is a real thing millions of people killed you know there were you know and then gradually through chemical things when they talk about that that so just dying from an explosion feels like that's not that bad but then you hear the that would be the best part of it would be being vaporized right yeah just being vaporized but then you hear these stories about people that were fine for a day or two and then passed away a week later like you really need to put that in perspective when you talk about celebrating war celebrating these moments and you know as a global traveler when you go to asia you realize that like it has left this like permanent black eye on the image of america and you especially know, because there's there's so much celebrating i mean there's so much patting of themselves on the back for it. here's a question 100%. i was wondering i honestly i wanted to ask you guys this i'm glad we i'm glad you got into this topic ronald because this is kind of related mm-hmm. do you think oppenheimer believed sincerely I mean, I know we can never know this. This is totally subjective. Sure, 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 sure. Do you think he believed, do you think a person could believe that this really would be the weapon to end weapons? Or do you think on some level he knew that was a lot? Do you, you know what I'm saying? Do you think for your yeah, ego to put you in the good... position where you're playing with the things he's playing with, you have to have divorced yourself from the real implications? Or do you think he was honestly like naively hopeful about what he was doing? A weapon to end all weapons. Because that's what they talk about in the movie. Yeah, like, yeah. That's he the reasoning like they, he uses is like he believes yeah. that like this what he's doing has a good to it, you know, and not that he's just sort of his egos. I want to prove that I can do this thing, and I don't. And and what happens after is what happens after, you know. And as opposed to no one should ever figure out how to do this thing, you know. I don't know. Like how? Like maybe I'm asking you. Like what's your judgment on Oppenheimer, the man, <sighs> as presented in this movie? You know, his moral. I choice. think there's a shift. I think there's a shift in the movie. And they even like talk about that in the in his hearing. Like, when did you develop that moral? I forget the language they use, but like mm-hmm. uh there there's a, a term they keep, you know, pinning him with that that he uses. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think there's a shift in the movie. I think some of it happens when they're having the um the AC meetings about the hydrogen bomb and you know, Heller's really yeah. pushing that. And I think that's a moment that he kind of references even like when he when he when when he makes that comment about like, you know, realizing that, you know, we we don't intend to use every weapon that we would make. Mm. Like, I think like that stuff is really kind of I I feel like speaks to a a point at which he changes, you know, um, he changes his outlook on theory and execution and like realizing theory and and putting it into the real world um, just because you can doesn't maybe mean that you should it's the Jurassic park principle yeah yeah Yeah. like when when you when you come to the understanding that if you do it's going to be used 
Right. And you can't control that. You know, the moment that he sees them driving off with them in those trucks, there's no visibility. There's no accountability. Like the, the, the military, you know, I'll keep you posted best I can is what Matt Damon's character says. Best I can. That's and I mean, crazy. That, that's, that's a, crazy to a, picture. You a, did a science yeah. project and then the military drives off with it and they're going to do what they do with it, you know? Yeah. And that's the, that's, that's, that's a moment in the movie that I feel like is like, is like the chip in this, like this idealist, like idyllic, I, you know, approach that he has to theory and putting yeah. it into play. And I think it's one of the moments in, in that we see in the film that breaks that down. And, you know, as it goes on, it falls apart. And I think that's kind of where he makes that comment in the hearing. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think, Ronald? Do you think any person, I mean, you know, in making that decision, like, yeah. can anyone honestly be like, well, I had my reasons. <laughs> so, so I watched, I watched the, the doc and then it has, um, so apparently Oppenheimer was really careful about the type of interviews that he did for a really long time. They'd only be like, you know, they'd ask him a brief question that was kind of on the borderline of pressing him a little bit. And he'd answer in this eloquent way. But there was there's this one interview where he's he's a little older where he's basically every time they ask him about the bomb he's he starts crying, he's like so broken by it he's tortured by it in a way mm -hmm. he has like big bags under his eyes you can tell he's he still doesn't get any sleep over it and you know he's he calls it the the the, the bomb to end all bombs and stuff like that like he calls it that but while saying that he's also like fucking almost crying. I, I don't I think there's a there's a weird privilege that comes with somebody that could be able to make that sort of decision make that shift right yeah make that shift like you know you like you're gonna kill a bunch of people and he's like well for science you know let's 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 multiply it as little a thing as we can we're gonna make the you know that's like what he says in the movie is um I don't know that anyone should have this weapon. I just know that the Nazis shouldn't or something like that. Like, yeah, so it yeah. is what you were saying, Ronald, before about the the, the race to, yeah. to be like, it becomes about the competitiveness to prove yeah, that yeah. you can do it. And it's hard not to imagine that there's some ego involved in, yeah. in a choice like that. But yeah, you're right. Like it is, it is like a convenient thing to be able to do. Look back a few years later and feel bad about something right. as opposed to having been one of the thousands of people directly affected by it, right. you know? He can picture the science of it. He knows what that looks like. He knows the implications. He knows he knew all that stuff. And he still did it. And the fact that he had that shift is, I mean, I guess it's it's nice, but he killed. They he he is the catalyst for killing all these people. Mm -hmm. And sure, somebody may another scientist may have made another bomb, but the blood wouldn't have been on his hands. You know what I mean? Like it he he it's a wild thing. Like, would I, if if somebody gave me infinite resources, would I make the perfect propaganda movie that would make people turn on this play? You know, what, yeah. You you forget that sometimes, like, it's those little things that create the big bombs that create terrorists that create, you know, and, and it's just a it's a wild idea, and he, he tackles it in a cool way. So, like. Even after my complaints about not feeling myself being there, yeah, I mean, this is one of those movies. This is one of those movies that, when my kid is like, "Hey, I, I heard about this movie called Oppenheimer that came out that talks about this," have, I'm like, "I was in the movie theater with my good friends and I watched it." <laughs> you know, it's like I remember watching this movie, this greatest yeah. movie of the 2020. You know, it's like, 
I really do think I really do think that it will it will it will morph into that. I really do think yeah. it's gonna it's gonna have yeah. an impact like that because I'm I'm yeah. I mean I I already feel that way right now. Like I yeah. feel like this might it, I gotta really it, this might be my movie of the year so far. I don't I don't oh, cool. because of how much it kind of surprised me how much yeah. I liked it. Um, but and I and I am anxious to rewatch it too. So I mean that that speaks very highly of it. But yep, I mean in theaters now this is it sounds like a pretty good recommend from movie schmovie yeah you go check it out find the biggest screen you can for it um mm. go see it go see barbie go see anything you want to see in theaters just, just go to the theater this weekend yeah. there's plenty of opera there's plenty of opportunities and you know what i want to say there's a there's movie plenty coming of out opportunities uh, there, there's there's as well John, <laughs> um we didn't get to see it we've never talked about it but i want to put a placeholder there's a movie coming out this weekend called cobweb uh mm. that's from Lionsgate. It's a horror film uh, Lizzie Kaplan oh, is in it and somebody else uh, I should know and I am forgetting who it is, but um, little to no promotion or anything in the middle of Barbenheimer. They're, they're oh, putting boy. this out there, um, but maybe we can check it out and talk about it on the podcast in the coming weeks. But okay, um, plenty of opportunities. I wonder if Cobweb was like, can we get Cobweb into the Barbenheimer uh, portmanteau? Right. They were like, could we be Cobben? Could be Barb? Barb Webheimer, come on! Is there not room for Cobweb? Oh, it's Anthony Starr. Anthony Starr, Homelander is the. Oh, okay, oh, awesome, awesome! Oh, wow, but it's supposed to be really good. And and am I going to be able to and, take him in any and, other and, role? Or is and they're just, just like dropping like it in theaters? I don't, I don't know. We'll see. To check it out. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have anything else to mention, and I'm not going to lie. You know, I think my technology is about to die on me as we no, record that's this a show. Uh, I think that's a good show. Again, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One's in theaters. It's a it's a it's a, it's a recommend from us or from John and I. I'm yeah. sure Ronald will, will chime in once he sees it. And uh, Oppenheimer is the you know the big one this weekend along with Barbie. We did see Oppenheimer, so we can say this is a go ahead from movie movie as well. Um, and just to cir- uh, circle back, my pick for required viewing next week is Deep Cover, 1992, and so HBO Max if you haven't um moviesmovie.com is the website you can listen to episodes there subscribe uh link right to your podcast of choice or platform of choice or head over to youtube.com slash movies movie podcast if you want the um, video option of the podcast every friday the weekend right after an episode ronald posts those videos up there and that's uh that's it really um we'll be back next week with a new episode and as always give me today thanks bye